0: body of believers we have here. I was, I was over here early. Gail and I had been staying down here the night before. So I was up early. I'm over here having a cup of coffee. I got a couple of lights on. And this will make sense in a little bit, but I walk in and the storm comes through. And it starts whistling and howling in here. The hairs went up. i like, no, no, that's okay. I turned a couple more lights on and I go back into the office to sit down and go over my sermon, and the door starts banging. <laughs> and I'm like, no, this, this is the church. You're safe. <laughs> I still opened it to see who was knocking And you can ask Gail about a story about that that happened years ago. But I appreciate Henry reading Psalm 139 and the commentary. I like it that men feel free to... Let me pray, and then we'll start. Father, thank you for the opportunity to fill in for Pastor Wayne. And I pray that you would be glorified and honored through my words. I ask that your Holy Spirit would apply these words in Scripture to all of our hearts, that we would be strengthened in our walk with Jesus Christ. And I do ask this in his precious name. Amen. I've got a Bible over there. I left my Bible at home, but... At my age, I have to print everything out. So I have all the scripture here. So I am preaching from the Bible, but it's in 22 months. Yeah, you're shaking your head. You know. But let me take you back to high school graduation with my heavenly, yeah, my earthly father. And uh, it doesn't seem like 1977 was that long ago. I must have stepped into a wormhole and instantly transported to the 21st I can just remember being a long-haired high schooler graduating and my dad giving me a card from Kipling. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies. Or being hated, don't give way to hating, and yet don't look too good, nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make your thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to, broken, broken, Now, that's even hard for me to read right now. But as I reflect on that, I said, Dad, you made a good start. But it's all earthly. And I can't fault my dad. I mean, he was doing the best he could, and I appreciate it, and I still love him for it. I still have the card after five or six years. But I, I treasure my father. Because I obeyed my earthly father and got a heavenly father. You're going to hear that I was a forester. I was a forester in Idaho. I graduated during a recession. In a recession, you don't build houses, so you don't need trees. And I moved back to New York State, where I'm from, and I was moving furniture and working at a Jewish summer camp in the Catskills, $4.25 an hour. That was high cotton, as some people might say. And my dad said, why don't you go on to school? And I said, Dad, I didn't even want to go on for a bachelor's degree. But you're my father, I'll obey you, and I moved to Maine. And three months later, God found me. And I repented and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And my life changed. Like some people say, I did a 360. No, you math whizzes, it was a 180. But I went from a potty mouth... Jack Daniels, not caring about anybody but me, to instantly loving people, having a clean mouth and caring. And the next day, people said, what happened to you, Andy? And I said, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And they're like, what does that mean? I said, I have no idea what it means. You know, I'm a brand new baby. That continued on into seminary, where I was sitting in seminary, and they said, what's the last book of the Bible? Yes, Mr. Alexson, Concordance! They laugh just like you're laughing. I'm like, I looked in the back, concordance. So what is yours, maps? I, I was clueless. I was brand new. And thankfully, over the past few years, I've learned a little bit. And I've learned that this poem by Kipling touches my heart. And it's like, yes, I'll have a stiff upper lip. I'll, I'm part English, so actually Scottish, but I'm going to have an, another hot cup of tea and we'll get through it. And I realized that that's good, but it doesn't get us far enough. Now, I'm a very emotional person. You may not realize that, but I, I, I really am. Ask Gail sometime. Uh, I hide it well, but if I ever watch Anna Green Gables, you watch Anna Green Gables? That's, she spells her name ann with an e i spell mine ann with a d but every time matthew is walking up that hill towards ann in the barn i get something in my eye i start to cry like a baby cuz matthew collapses and dies i'm like oh i got to get out got to check the oil in the car or something i got to get out of here i'm very emotional but i'm not an anxious person Outside that little scare this morning, with the wind and the banging doors, I don't worry. I I I don't think I've ever worried. I might have worried about not worrying once, but I I thought that was just a a psychotherapist dead end. And I, I I look at this poem that my dad gave me, and I said, "That's a good world mindset to be tough." In a tough world, and we need to be tough. We don't need to be snowflakes, but there's so much more. And I thought, rather than having a a if stoic mindset, let's have a biblical or Christian mindset. And there's there's going to be a book on the downstairs free table that I think it says I don't know what it says, but it's biblical mindset or biblical worldview. I, I commend it to you, but I want to go through a lot of scripture today. And it's going to be negative. It's, it's all going to be negative. And it's know who you be, know what your job is, know who God am, and no worries. And we're going to work through that with a lot of scripture. And I, hopefully it'll be valuable to you to give you a solid hope in your heart, but also to point you back to God in the incredible, glorious Savior we have. So... Let's get to it. There's facts. Know who you be. And Henry read from Psalm 139. We switched it up in the bulletin because the pastor already had them printed. I'm like, I'm preaching. I can have whatever Psalm in there. And I have the wisdom not to mess with the hymns. But in Psalm 139, there's some highlights there. David asks, where shall I go from your spirit? You should be asking that, too. Where shall I go from your spirit? And the answer is nowhere, God is there in the darkest room, in the brightest sunshine. Our God is there. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Life is precious because the creator has formed it. In your book... Every one of them, the days that were formed for me, were written. God knows your life. Before you were born, he knows your path, and he knows when you're going to go home. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Has God ever abandoned you? No. You might have turned your back on him or walked away, but God will never abandon his child. And the psalmist finishes with this, search me, O God, and know my heart. That's a good exercise to pray that. Search me, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and then lead me in the way everlasting. We're celebrating Easter and with communion next week. Not today, but next week. I encourage you, search your hearts. Lay yourself open before God, especially before we come together and say, God, try me. Is there a grievous way in me? Am I anxious? Am I not trusting you? And then when he brings something, if he does, deal with it. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to forgive us from all unrighteousness. We sin all the time. That's okay, in a sense, because we're fallen human beings. We're trapped in this body. One day we'll be free. But until then, our Father, our Creator has said, Be right with me. He knows we can't be. Then he says, confess your sins, and I will make you clean. And then do it again and again and again. It's like taking a shower. My favorite scripture is 2 Corinthians five seventeen, And you've heard me say that before. We need to know who we be. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Here it comes. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I told you about a little glimpse of my salvation experience in a parking lot in Maine at two in the morning. I was in Christ. I became a new creation. Instantly, I took one step. And God changed my life because I took a step of obedience. I had no idea what I was doing, except God made it very clear. I either trust him or I'm going to hell. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. My roommate, my colleagues, my co-workers knew something had changed. they like, who are you? I'm like, I'm Andy. I'm a Christian. I don't know. I didn't know what it meant. I'm still learning after... Almost 40 years. Let me ask you. Are you a new creation? Have you repented of your sin and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you confessed to Jesus that you are a sinner and asked him to forgive you? A lot of you are shaking your heads. I don't need a public response. That's between you and the Lord. But today is the day of salvation. We're not guaranteed another minute. Get right. Repent. Believe on the Lord. Just as though, just like the Lord brought to me that I'm either going to follow him or go to hell. I didn't know what that meant, but I knew I didn't want to go to hell. And I said, I will trust you. I knew about Jesus. I grew up in a Catholic church. I went to Sunday school. I read my Bible. I was interested in spiritual things, but I never repented. And confessed my sin and believed on the Lord. I'm still learning what that means every day. We're we're in process, as they say. But I encourage you today is the day of salvation. Don't let another second go by without making sure that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And you could talk to Jerry, Blake, or me afterwards if you want, or, or one of the ladies. So let's say you're a Christian. You give me the benefit of the doubt, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Because only God knows. You have to know what your job is, what your calling is. Why are you here? What are you doing as a new creation? Now, some of you might think that God saved Andy just to display his glory and let me sit on the back pew like I do and just take it all in. No. No. It's just like you've heard the illustration. A swamp is something that water comes in, but nothing goes out. We need to be lakes. We have it come in, and we give it out. God didn't save me so I could have an easy life. He didn't save me so I could be healthy and wealthy and prosper. I mean, he already covered the good-looking part back in Psalm 139, because he knit me together like this, so I don't take any praise for it. But what are we doing once we're this new creation? Well, if you keep reading in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 18, God lays it out for us. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's our job. That is, in Christ's God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. He's entrusted that message to us. Earthen vessels, jars of clay. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I just fulfilled that about a minute ago when I called you to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I take it very seriously to be an ambassador of Christ. Now, I I didn't go through a Senate confirmation hearing last week to be able to give you that message. God in heaven had already confirmed me. He's a supreme justice. We think we control things on this earth through our petty politics. But don't be mistaken. God is in control. And we'll hear more about that later if I stay on track. God has given us a job to do. Not just Pastor Layton. When I first started preaching, remember, I'm a forester that God called into the ministry. I would wear a suit in church. And the rest of the week, I'm wearing khakis, a T-shirt, a button-down shirt. I purposely would get coffee at the local 7-Eleven. And I was in and about the community. And then I would never let people know that I was a pastor. They would say, well, what do you do? I said, well, I work with people. I teach. And then I built relationships with them. And they said, well, what do you teach? I said, I teach the Bible at that church up on the hill. You're a pastor? I'm like, yeah, I can't believe it either. My church, we had, we had our son's birthday party once, and the church folk came over, and they were surprised that I wasn't wearing a tie and a suit. I said, I might be a pastor, but I'm also a father. I'm going to get down on my hands and knees and play with my son. Even when I was in forestry, people would say, are you religious? You just mashed your thumb with that hammer and nothing bad came out of your mouth. I said, I'm not religious. I'm I'm a born again believer in Jesus Christ. He's changed my mouth. He's changed me from the inside. And I found that when I was a professional holy man behind the pulpit, People expected to be able to poke me in chapter and verse would come out, and there's there's a reason why we have Pastor Wayne here as the spokesman for the church, and I know you're saying, "Yeah, we know why we want him to be the spokesman. We've had enough of you." <laughs> but the way we're wired as a society, we're religious in in a, in a good sense. We have a formality about us. Uh, There's a sacredness to us coming together here, a liturgical aspect, not real high church, but we want to honor God in a formal way, even though we can be casual because we're brothers and sisters. So there's an aspect where we need a church building, even though we're the church, we need a resident pastor that somebody that can say, he's the pastor of our church, That's the way we're wired as a society. But we also need the entire body that when pastors go somewhere, people stop what they're doing and they start acting nice. When you go somewhere as a non-pastor and you act like a believer or you have a gentle reason for the hope you have or you're not drinking or whatever, gossiping, whatever, people notice Wayne was born a pastor, right? Most pastors, oh, Adrian Rogers, he was, John MacArthur was born a pastor, came out with a suit and tie. But when normal people like us live as believers, people notice. There, there's a contrast there. That's one reason why he said we are ambassadors, all of us. That's another reason why the elders here take Ephesians 4 seriously to build up the body of Christ so that we all minister. It's not a one-man show or a four-man show. We're to be out in the world being ambassadors for Jesus Christ, as it says. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. You heard about this with tent-making missionaries, people that go to remote access or limited access countries that they can't even use their regular email or tell you their name. It's going to be kind of hidden, hush, hush. I lost that train of thought, but anyway. He's given us a ministry of reconciliation. How do we do this? Matthew 28, you know this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, you know this? You may not know it in the ESV, you might have learned it in the NIV and like me or King James hopefully, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, that's a command, we call it the great commission. Not only did he say through Paul, you're ambassadors for Christ, he's entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. He tells us how to do it. Go therefore, Or while you're going, make disciples of all nations. Take somebody under your wing and say, let's have a Bible study. I know Aragorn's doing Bible studies twice a week, touching ladies. Gail tunes in on it, and I have to make my own dinner. Let's just open up another can of ravioli. It's not a big deal. I'll gladly sacrifice for her spiritual growth. Think about somebody that's discipled you. Somebody came next to me and said, the last book of the Bible is not concordance, nor is it Acts. It's Revelation. I didn't know that Luke wrote the book of Acts at its volume two. That blew my mind. I was a blank slate. I knew about God. Then I knew God. But I had to learn the Bible. And I, had, I needed somebody to walk me through it. Somebody did that for me. I did that to my best friend who was a furniture mover, Steve. He went to be one of those missionaries in restricted access countries. Just because we sat down on the back of his moving truck, opened up the Bible with a cup of coffee, sitting on the moving blankets, the pads, and said, let's go through Ephesians. And we wrestled with it. But that was all the spark he needed to take his workers under his arms and say, hey, I'm paying you. Let's sit down and have an extra hour of work and I'll, I'll teach the Bible to you. That's how we do it. We go make disciples, teaching them. Then we baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I was baptized at an early age, probably eight days. I was a premium and in the Roman Catholic Church, you baptize infants right away, especially if you don't think they're going to make it. Because in, in that religion, that's a ticket to heaven. So I'm like, I'm, I, I got saved when I was 24. Really saved, you heard about that. I didn't get baptized for three or four more years. Three or four, I can't remember. Because I thought, I, I've already been baptized. I don't want to do that again. I certainly didn't want to embarrass my parents. Because they raised me Catholic. Catholic. And I told them, I'm going to get baptized. And they're like, we were wondering when you were going to do that. They knew a little bit more than I thought. And Mark Twain had something to say about that, too, for going to college. How much his dad learned in those four years. But I was convicted that I needed to be baptized by immersion and join a local church as my public testimony for Jesus Christ. And as a grown man, that was kind of terrifying to me. Now, I can swim. I was a lifeguard. I can swim. But to stand up in front of everybody here? But I said, I've got to do it. I am going to stand for Jesus Christ now that somebody has discipled me and explained to me the scripture. I want to be obedient to Jesus Christ. So I followed him in believer's baptism like somebody did the Great Commission for me. Somebody went made disciples, taught me about being baptized, and then verse 20, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. He's given us something to do, but in the sphere of influence that each one of us has, you can reach different people that I can't even talk to. We all have connections all over this world. Why not just say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. I've done that with my whole family. They didn't want to hear it. I don't care. I don't answer to them. I answer to the person who confirmed my ambassadorship. I'm a new creation. Now, I try to do it gently, respectfully, because they're my family. You know, I think as Peter says, be prepared to give a gentle answer. Don't say get right or get left, turn or burn. That, that doesn't help. We, we, let's love people as we carry out our duties as an ambassador. But I encourage you, not only examine your heart before communion next week, talk to God and say, who should I be sharing this message with? And then if you get nervous about it, Ask God to help you. Say, you don't need to be John MacArthur or, or Wayne Layton, Sharon. You don't know everything. John and Wayne do, but you don't know everything. I don't know everything, and I know I don't know everything. But I do know enough to say, I repented and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and my life changed drastically. Well, what about the abomination on the west wing of the temple? I don't know. When's Christ coming back? I don't know. But this I do know. I know some things. I would also encourage you that if you have worry or anxiety, if, 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 you, if you feel unsettled inside, fulfill the great commission and do your job and get some forward motion. When we're working hard, when we're doing what God has called us to do, we forget about those things. We're too busy to be worried or anxious, think about it when you have idle times on your hand, your mind can can just go over things. but if you 're working hard on a project, whether it 's doing a crossword puzzle, a regular puzzle, you know some of you washing the dishes you 're occupied with that, and you 're not thinking about other things. You can only think of one thing at a time. nobody multitasks you might serially unitask, switch back and forth, back and forth. But I would highly commend to you, fulfill the great commission where God's planted you and say, Lord, you're with me to the very end of the age. Only four more pages here. Life is not easy. I'm not saying that it is. And I think about the 21st century context in which we live. It's rough. It's not the world in which I grew up in or my parents grew up in. It, it's, it's not nice sometimes. I drove up, I'm not sure what it's called, Blake, but Route 27, Friday night, about 9, 10 o'clock. I thought, this is a rough neighborhood. I'm glad my car's not breaking down here. But it's always been that way. This is what Paul continues to write in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listen to you. Not by sl- Yeah, that's right. In a favorable time, I listen to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold. Now is the day of salvation. I think you've heard that before. We put no obstacle in anyone's ways so that no fault may be found in our ministry. Verse 4, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 4. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. And it changes here. You might find this a little different with what you'll find on cable TV. By great endurance, in afflictions, Hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Boy, that sounds like a really good advertisement to recruit somebody to the ministry of reconciliation. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. By truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live. Now, Kipling might have gotten his poem, If, from this little section. We live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich as having nothing, yet possessing everything. Don't believe the TV preachers that say, you give your life to Jesus Christ and everything's going to be fine. Jesus loves you and everybody else has a wonderful plan for your life, is a twist of Bill Bright's thing. Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, but not the wonderful plan you might think. We follow cross-culturally, anti culture, against the grain. We're the fish swimming upstream against all the dead fish floating downstream. You've heard it say, the gate is narrow, it's straight. Broad is the path to destruction. When Jesus Christ calls you out of this world, you become an enemy of the world. We don't need to be offensive, but The way I think about it is back to World War II, and I'm living in Paris, and I'm fighting for the good guys, and half of my family has gone over to the fascist side. They might share my DNA, but we're on different sides. I love my earthly family. We share a bond. But you're my spiritual family, And my bond with you is forever. And I'm closer to you than my brothers, my mother and my father. I have left them to follow Jesus Christ. So if you're dancing with the world, stop it. Realize who your father is, who your family is. When I was a forester, I was working with this guy, Dave. He was one of my students and he ended up working for me. We're out in the middle of the woods in the Adirondack Mountains in July. And he's like, "Like, what are you doing, Dave? He's like, there's a lot of bugs out here. I sat him down. I said, Dave, if you want to be a forester, you're going to work in the woods. It's going to be hot. There's going to be a lot of bugs. Deal with it. Not only that, but we've got a mountain to climb up and down. Thankfully, Dave listened to me. He realized that bugs are the context of being working in the woods. He stopped complaining about them. It was a lot quieter, too. He went on to have a successful consulting forestry career because he oriented, he recalibrated his thinking to the context. If you think that being a Christian is easy, You've got to recalibrate your thinking because it is hard. It's hard every day for Gail to live with me. It's harder every day for me to live with myself. I can't escape myself. Then put me in the world. I'm thinking, would you come back soon, Lord? Because I'm getting weary of this. But then I think, nope, he's given me a job. I will be faithful to the ministry of reconciliation to be an ambassador but a long time ago I I lost the illusion that the Christian life was going to be fun and games I have so much joy in my heart I know where I'm going and every year it gets closer I love being in this world I, I love I love being outside, meeting people, having a good cup of coffee. But there's a lot of thorns and thistles. You see the one that brought in up here? Take a look at that. That's what foresters have to deal with, with hawthorn trees. And, uh, so Christ says, take up your cross. He doesn't say, take up your lazy boy chair. Take up your soft afghan He says, take up your cross. Years ago, we're driving home from Thanksgiving, and Gail and I late night talk and got got talking about persecution. And we were wrestling with that and said, what are we going to do? And I thought, well, let's put it into perspective. And I'd like you guys to put it into perspective. Let's say you live a normal life. You're going to live 70 to 90 years. What comes after that? How many years in eternity will you be? One, two, three. You're going to run out of fingers and toes. Okay. This life seems long, but it's a blink. Scripture says we're grass. It, we're a vapor. Even though when you're in the midst of it, it seems long, just like this sermon. But compare that to Eternity. Do the flip side. You know people that have walked away from the Lord. And if you're ever tempted to walk away, think about it. Say, I'm I'm tired of this. I'm tired of getting up in the morning to go to church early. Got to be here at 1030. Especially after Saturday night. And they ask you for money and you got to do stuff. And you got to live holy. I'm, I'm done with that. I'm going to live. The way I want to live. And I'm going to have 60, 70, 80, 90 years of fun. Hebrews 9 27 says it's appointed unto man once to die and then face the judgment. One day, everybody will die if the Lord tarries. And those that turn their back on the Lord for momentary pleasure, assuming they're not believers, so I'm not going to judge their souls, it's eternity in hell hundred years at the most versus a lot of hundreds years. So when you get discouraged, say, the life here is short term. You got to have that mindset. It's short term. But the reward is forever. Literally. Know who you are. Know what your calling is. I don't have any scripture for this next point. Know who God am. You can't say know who God is, right? know who God am because he is I am we've gone through the Psalms this is Easter season the resurrection next week we celebrate that I told you I know what the last book of the Bible is I've read the last chapter of the book I know who wins Jesus Christ wins Donald Trump Joe Biden, Ronald Reagan, you pick your president. They're just put in place by God. Jesus Christ wins. He's the sovereign ruler. I remember somebody when the last temptation of Christ came out. Have you seen the movie? I'm like, no, I've read the book. Why would I see the movie? I know how everything turns out. Now, I don't do that with Agatha Christie. I read that through Start to finish. People don't tell me how it ends. My son tapes soccer games. He says, don't tell me how the the game ended. I want to know. So we watch it three or four days later. But I know how it ends. We win. Jesus Christ wins. Practical steps for no worries. And this is different than Alfred E. Newman's, what, me worry? Now, if you're young, you don't understand that at all. Just like when I talk about driver's ed, if you're in Tennessee, you don't understand what those terms are anyway. But back when I took driver's ed, gas was 57 cents a gallon. Yep. We only had two channels on the TV, and only half the alphabet was written, guys. But I still remember driver's ed, and my teacher, we called him Goose. He was a basketball coach, too. He said, you drive where you look. I'm like, what? Think about it. You drive where you look. Where is your attention focused? If you text when you drive, you're driving where your phone is, and you're not paying attention. You drive where you look. It's the same thing in this Christian life. Look to God. There's a lot of noise out there. And it's very important to know what the signal is versus the noise. There's so much information coming at us. We're not designed for 24-7 newscasts. Rodney and I were talking about that last week, I think, even, or maybe the week before. We're inundated with information, and it's very fleeting. But God's word is true. It's a guide we can always look to. Are you looking to it? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates for a minute or two. No, no. He meditates day and night. Meditate on the Lord. Chew on it. Take it in. If you're driving, Bluetooth, CD, however you do it, listen to God's word. Get the Bible. I won't sit on tape. That's going to date myself. Get the Bible so you can hear it when you drive. This man who meditates on the Bible day and night is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Get into God's word. Make it a part of you. You're going to need that when times get hard. You want to draw on God's word. When I doubt my salvation every now and then, I go back to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It also is a password for my phone. So every time I'm unlocking my phone, 2517, 2517. Now, you can't hack my bank account because I don't have that on my phone. And if you did, the $30 isn't going to do you much. But I have scripture that are part of me. When I was in forestry, I kept five things on a note card, a little three-by-five note card. Sometimes I wrote it on my hand. What am I doing out here Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to mark the trees to save, not to cut. I'm supposed to do this. Oh, I need to be back by five. I had reminders. So I stayed on course. Psalm 121, another good one. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade at your right on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil; he will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Memorize that psalm for when life gets rough. Where does your help come from? Drive your life I lift up my eyes to the hills. I'm going to look up to God. God help me. Psalm 131 another good one my oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up meaning proud. my eyes are not raised too high again, humble not no, I just told you look up to God and I don't want to contradict it you're, you're listening. I do not occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. That's just another reminder of God's word guiding us, practical helps. Gail and I went on a cancer journey 10 years ago. and that very morning, we got the diagnosis. My secretary put up a four-by-eight bulletin board with Isaiah 26, 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts in you. Our faith never faltered. Not one second, one step. You know, it's rough going through stuff. But it was so encouraging to say, we were faced with, like, this life-changing blow to the gut, and God was true. We didn't falter one bit. We're like, this Christianity stuff is real. It's one thing to pray that when you have a flat on the side of the road and some guy comes and fixes it, but the timing of it when God speaks through a bulletin board. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord is an everlasting rock. You know that, right? What's this? You know that? The rains came down and the floods came up, but the house on the rock stood firm. Now, I won't bless you with singing that. I will bless you with silence with that. I'll let Jesus bless you. Everyone then who hears these words of mine those are Jesus's words, not not mine. And does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Are you going to have storms in life? As John K would one of Gail's Bible professors would say, shake your head. Yes. When I fell in love with Gail, I started taking Bible correspondence courses through Philadelphia College of the Bible, back when it was paper. And I mailed the lessons in. And Dr. Kaywood was my teacher. And I still remember that. I'm still catching up to her. I see her taillights in the distance. Is your house, is your life built on the words of Jesus Christ? That's the only rock. That will stand. You will have trials. You will have storms. Guaranteed. It could get really, really uncomfortable for us in America, especially as believers. God's still in control and He's allowing us to go through potentially dark times so we can be bright lights for Him. The other song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm going to Let It Shine. We might have a lot of darkness to let our lights shine. So we start preparing now so we're in shape, that we're full of God's word, that we're being ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Paul also says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We're not fighting against people. We're fighting against the prince of the power of the air. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. The battle is in our minds. Are you taking your thoughts captive to Jesus Christ? I wrestle with that sometimes in the middle of the night. I'm a father. I love my son. He's 29, but he's still my little boy. And every now and then, I run this scenario in my head that he's stuck on the side of the road. Help me, Daddy, help me. And I'm like, i got to help my boy. And I'm like, stop. I'm going to take that thought captive to Christ. He's not stuck on the side of the road. And he's capable. He's 29. He's a man. I'm not going to go down that road. There's other roads we can go down. We, we play out the future, and it's futile thinking. Don't worry about the future. Be prepared for hardship, but you can't predict the future. If you read the Bible, you'll see where God enters and turns things around instantly. I don't care much for Tony Campola, his theology, but he has one good sermon that sticks in my mind. I'm not sure if it's original with him, but I'm going to borrow it. Not the sermon, just the title. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Have you heard that? It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. This is Palm Sunday today. The triumphal entry if we were back in Jerusalem. Hosanna, Hosanna. Here comes Jesus Christ, our Savior. Wait a minute. Just a few days later, crucify him. Crucify him, and on Friday, they kill him. Take that to this world. Okay? It's Friday right now. Satan controls this world because God has allowed him to. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. The whole Jewish folk, the Romans there, thought they killed Jesus Christ. They put him in a tomb. His dead body sealed in a tomb. Friday, Saturday, then Sunday came, the stones rolled away. You cannot control our risen Savior. He is in absolute control of everything. One of the great philosophers, I forget who, might be C.S. Lewis, I don't remember, said that God looks at the whole universe and every molecule, every atom says, mine, mine, mine. Carl Sagan thought he knew the cosmos and everything in it. My father created the cosmos with just a word. Do you think he can watch over your life and my life? As good Americans, we get involved in the political process, but we also have a citizenship in heaven. That's a delicate balance to walk. It's a tightrope. But I would encourage you, to take your thoughts captive to Jesus Christ. You've heard Philippians, "Rejoice in the Lord always." Again I will say rejoice. I think Paul's writing this from a prison. And not a modern prison today. I had a congregant who was in prison. Earl. I visited him. He's like I'm like, "How do you like it?" He said, "I love it." What? He goes, "I have clean clothes. I got cable TV, three hot meals a day." It was a lot better than where Earl lived. He came from a rough home. Prison was better than his home life. But here's Paul writing from prison. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. That's a command imperative. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. We need to be on our knees or how, whatever attitude you pray in. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. You might be weighed down. You might be anxious. You might worry. Go to your heavenly Father. Daddy, I'm bringing this request to you. I I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm anxious. I'm worried. Help me. And God promises the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We're to guard our hearts. Steve Green has that song, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. He goes on to say, guard your hearts. Guard your hearts. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, I don't like this part of Scripture. Just like I don't care for 1 Corinthians 13 because that love chapter shows me how much I fail. Somebody, Jeremy, you know this. Somebody gave us a poster of that beautiful when we got married. I took it down. Every day walking down the hall, I'm like, yeah, I failed there, I failed there, I failed there, I failed there. And I wrestle with this. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if anything is worthy of praise, think on these things. And that's where I have to bring in 1 Corinthians 1, 9 to say, Father, forgive me. Because what I was thinking was not just, might have not been commendable, it might have been critical, not praiseworthy. Think on these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. You don't get it the first time we practice. Practice, 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 and we learn and we grow. And when we do that, we can then disciple others and say, look, I struggle with stuff too but I found a way through it. We're going to wrap up with this. Two passages, they're both 12, Romans 12 and Hebrews 12. I appeal to you, this is Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I could take you back to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, where as a young surveyor, forester, I pulled my 1985 Ford pickup truck off to the side of the road. And I got serious with God. I was already a believer. I'd been baptized. I was going to church, teaching Sunday school. I recommend that you don't try teaching little boys the Elijah sacrifice where you pour water on. Don't use lighter fluid, too. It's very effective, but it'll get you in trouble with a senior pastor. But I'm, I pulled my truck over because my pastor, Larry Pawson, was saying, "Have you done Romans 12:1? Have you committed yourself? Have you consecrated yourself, Andy?" To the Lord. And I'm like, no, I didn't know I had to. I was a brand new Christian. Even though I was teaching Sunday school, I was learning. But God convicted me. I pulled over. And I said, God, you can have all of me. You gave me a new heart. You redeemed my sorry soul. My thoughts, I give them to you. My eyes, what I say, what I hear what I am passionate about all the way down to where my feet walk. I give them to you. Some people talk about putting a stake in the ground for a decision. I put my truck in park and made a decision. And my life had never been the same. I'm like, I got serious with God after being a believer. I said, I am going to be totally committed to you, Lord. I'm committed to two people. My wife and my Lord lifelong commitments to both those special people you might get discouraged with it that's where Hebrews 12 comes in therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses some people say well that's like we're running this Christian life in an arena and all the saints are looking over to see how's he doing how's he doing get real Imagine that you died and are in heaven. Are you going to be looking over to see how, if I'm going to finish this sermon on time? You're going to be looking at Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. Why would, you know, the rich man in the parable of Lazarus worried about his brother? That's up for Jesus. But when we're face to face with the Lord, we're not looking down to see how everybody else we left. When I die, I don't care about you. I'm only worshiping and praising my Lord. I care about you now. So in Hebrews, it's not that people are watching to see how we're doing. Think more of the Fox's book of the martyrs. We can look back, especially if you read chapter 11, all these people that suffered for Jesus, sawn in two, lived in caves, Yet they ran their race. They finished well. You look back and say, if they can do it, I can do it. That's what this picture is. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin. Weight and sin are different. Weight are those things that you're doing that aren't profitable, that you don't need to carry. Years ago, I used to be a long-distance runner. I didn't carry anything that I didn't need to. You know, I'm gonna go run with an umbrella, you know, with a bag lunch, change of clothes. No, I I didn't want to carry any extra weight. We need to get rid of extra weight to run this race. But it also talks about get lay aside every sin which clings so closely. Be pure and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, know who you are, know who God is, know your calling, and no worries. But get into God's word. These scriptures speak to me. Find what speak to you. Take them if you need them. But latch on to scripture that's going to keep you true to God. And then try being an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Say, Lord, who would you like me to speak to? Oh, FedEx man just came. Thank you for this box, Mr. FedEx man. If you were to get in a train wreck, leaving this house? Would you go to heaven or hell? What do you have left to lose? He already gave you the box. They've got to deliver it. And you might open up a conversation. And he says, I never thought about that or I've been wondering about that. Well, let me tell you how you can repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask God to open up those opportunities. Somebody shared with you. Somebody shared with me, that's our ministry. Then also go further and find somebody that you can put under your wing and and take them to the next step. Pass on what you've learned. Even if it's like, guess what? I was really paying attention to Alex's sermon. The last book of the Bible is Luke, Acts, Concordance. You'll get there, but teach somebody. Let's pray. Father, take these words, get rid of the chaff, apply the pure wheat, strengthen us, and use us to be your ambassadors. And as our pastor often gives it time to reflect, I encourage you to reflect on these words And get right with God. Get a Christian mindset.